So today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through to 5, 2, on the page 1175 of the Church Bibles. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according, in accordance with the truth that is Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Good. Well, we're coming to that part of Ephesians as we continue with our uh, series, which uh, we're calling Together Under Christ. And in a previous part of the book of Ephesians, then Paul has told the Ephesians what he's praying for them, and I thought it would be good to pray the same prayer as we begin. So let's pray that, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we would like to keep asking that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. And we pray, Father God, that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened in order that we might know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people, and your incomparably great power for us who believe. And we pray these things in your name. 
Amen. Good. Well, li living in London, uh, it's, it's easy to get cynical about things. I don't know whether you find that. It's quite easy to get cynical. It's a sort of dog-eat-dog -dog city. You know, you have to, have, have to get ahead. But I wonder, I wonder whether you can actually imagine a world where people look after each other. Can you imagine a world like that? Can you imagine a world where enemies, ancient enemies, become friends for life? Uh, where different people are joined by what unites them, not what separates them. Maybe not, not what's on the surface, but what's deep down inside, their humanity. Where everyone is valued and everyone has a part to play. Can you imagine a world like that? Can you imagine? And certainly John Lennon dreamed of a world like that. Apparently, uh, the uh, Observer voted the song Imagine the best number one song of all time, of all time. A lot of people resonate with that sort of feeling, I think. Just imagine a world where everyone lives in peace, sharing what they have. That's what John Lennon sang about. And it's, a, it's an evocative dream, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing to think about. And it resonates with a lot of people. But, but when you say to someone, if that's, what you're dream of, if that's what you're dreaming of being a part of, then you'll need to come to Jesus Christ, and then, and then suddenly they're not interested. <laughs> it's, it's sad, isn't it? Don't you think? Isn't that a sad thing? Because how else did they think it was going to happen? You know, and, and unless we're prepared to be part of this grand master plan, that, that God is bringing about, where, where he's bringing everything together under Jesus. That's, that's, that's his big plan. And unless we're prepared to join this group of people called the church, where, where different people we saw last week are using their different gifts humbly and gently to build up the community, and people are, are, are speaking the truth in love, that dream is never going to come about. It's never going to happen. What we need to do is become part of God's masterpiece. Um, where, where what we call the, the 4.30 service, it's not quite the right name, is it? It's, it's actually the 4.30 equipping, according to uh, the, the previous part of chapter 4. We should call it the 4.30 equipping, and then after the final song, we should say, now we're going to begin the service, uh, really, if we take Ephesians 4 seriously, because that's when we, um, we use all of our different gifts to grow the love in, in the local church. That's what we do, isn't it? It's the equipping. We've been equipped for that, and then we put it into practice. You know, and unless, unless we become part of God's masterpiece, then we will never find the kind of world that John Lennon dreamed of. We're just too broken and self-serving. It's too messed up. It's, it, it's going to take a miracle of God to bring about that kind of unity. But he's begun it in his church. Uh, it, it's not perfect, I'll be the first to say. It's not, he's he's got, still got a long way to go. But it's the beginning of something incredible, God's church. And God wants to make that as clear as possible so that we can show that miracle to a watching world. That's his plan. But in order to do that, Paul wants us to take three steps forward in what we think. Three steps forward, and we're going to see that in chapter 4, verse 17, to chapter 5, verse 2, over the next 20 minutes or so. And the first step is this. This is what we're to see, that 
we aren't who we once were. Okay? We aren't who we once were if we're, if we're a Christian. And that comes in verses 17 to 19 of, of chapter 4. It's down there on page 1175. It would be a great help to me if you had that open just to check that I'm saying what Paul's saying to the Ephesian church. We aren't who we once were. You know, sometimes it's quite possible to, to look at our, our non-Christian friends with a kind of envy. You can end up thinking to yourself, it, it, it must be quite nice to have their freedoms, uh, to, to do whatever you want, to, to want something and just have it. It looks like a whole lot of fun. Uh, it's quite possible to think that. But look at Ephesians 4, verse 17, right-hand column, page 1075. It's what Paul says. So I tell you this, and literally it says, I witness to it in the Lord. This is saying he's seen and he wants to put across that you're no longer to live as the Gentiles do. That's a sort of word that means basically non-Christians. Because the Ephesian church that he's writing to aren't who they once were. That's the point. Okay, they aren't who they once were. I mean, some of you know um, Mark Aldham. Uh, he, uh, he was here until a, a year or two ago, and he went off to theological college. Um, his parents, uh, I haven't checked with him, but I'm 99% sure this is true. His parents live in Wimbledon, and um, they decided not just to redecorate their house, but to knock it down and start again. Okay, that's quite radical, isn't it? They decided we could give it a lick of paint, but no, we're going to demolish it, and we're going to rebuild it as we want it to be. Okay? That's, that's their approach. And by the time they'd finished, it looked nothing like the old house at all, as you can imagine. And, and this is Paul's point about the Christian. He's building on what he said last week. That um, he's been saying how God has caused us called us to live together as one under the rule of Christ and, and to show people that Jesus is Lord. And, and if we're to be a part of that, it will look nothing like we used to look like at all. We'll need to be completely rebuilt. You can see the stages of, of the way that, that people go wrong. If you, if you look at verse 18, you can sort of read it backwards. There are various steps that, that really start at the end and, and, and go forward to the beginning of the verse. So this is the way that the Ephesian church used to be. This is what we used to be like when we weren't Christians. Five degrees of separation from God. We, we hardened our hearts against God. You can see that at the end of verse 18. And so there's a kind of ignorance. Uh, we refused to find out what God was like. And so we were, we were darkened and separated from God like a like a sort of diver that's cut off its own, cut off his own air supply, We've cut ourselves off from life. And so there's a recklessness there, which comes out in verse 19. I mean, it sounds very grown up to be a sort of free thinker, doesn't it? Um, you know, to find your own path through life. And that sort of idea has dominated our culture for 400 years since something called the Enlightenment. People say, no, we're not going to go God's way. We're going to try and work things out ourselves. Um, but in the end, it just leaves you in verse 19, um, given over to sensuality and with a greed for more. That's where it leaves you. Um, because when we start putting our needs first, then there's no stopping us. Um, we, we don't find satisfaction. Actually, we just find an emptiness. 
And, um, and the heart wants some fairly dark things sometimes. Some, some fairly dark things, you know. Um, not all the time. But in our, in our hearts, we want, we want someone's money, or we want their body, or we want a drink to forget, or we want conspicuous consumption of cheap goods, no matter what sort of oppression that causes somewhere else in the world. And I, you know, I want instant distraction and entertainment and satisfaction. Or maybe I don't want to be seen talking to unpopular people. Um, people like you, or maybe I've fallen out of love, so I don't want to be married to you anymore, or maybe I'm trying to pretend to be someone else, and so I'll need to lie about what I'm really thinking. The heart wants some pretty dark things, and our, our wants are so destructive, so destructive. You know, they've, they've ruined our environment, and they're ruining our hearts. And if we're like that at church, we're just going to hurt each other. We'll take chunks out of each other. And, and so Paul's saying to the Ephesian church, you can't live like that anymore. If we're ever going to be built together into one in this sort of show home that, that God is creating so that the world can glimpse his big plan, God's masterpiece, the local church, if, if we're to be bricks in the building, you know, we saw that a couple of weeks ago, if we're to be one body growing up into the head, as it puts it in, in chapter 4, if we're to be the community who God uses for his show and tell to the, to the universe, then we're not to be who we once were. That's Paul's point. We're to know that that's the case. We've been demolished and rebuilt. In which case, who are we now? That's the question. And that's the second step that Paul wants us to take so we aren't who we once were so we're to remember who we now are and that and that's what he's saying in verses 20 to 24 we're to remember who we now are you know when I became a Christian I'd, I'd reached this point where I knew that I wasn't the person that I that I wanted to be and I sort of hit this invisible wall um, where I, I sort of saw myself becoming a nicer person, but I sort of reached a stage where I couldn't get any further. And um, I thought that maybe God could help me with that project. That's what was going on in my head. But in fact, what I needed to do wasn't about me at all. It, it was about Jesus. Uh, it was, I had to learn Christ. That's how, how Paul puts it. You, you hear about him, Paul says, and... Um, you're taught in him and you learn him. And Paul has spent two years in Ephesus and they had learned Christ together. And you can read all about that in Acts chapter 19. That's what he taught them. The curriculum was Jesus Christ. And so, so please, if, if you're new to Christianity and, and you don't know where to begin, begin with Jesus. Thursday, 8 o'clock in the evening is the beginning of our Christianity Explore course. It's all on Zoom. If you're not yet signed up, to that course and you can send an email to anyone on the back of the service sheet um, if you don't like it you can pretend your broadband's gone wrong it's fine but it's just four meetings online and it's looking at Jesus that's what it is basically begin with him I think you'll find him fascinating but it, as, as you learn Christ and you discover that there is truth with him can you see that in 
in verse 21, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. As that process happens, so verse 22, you put off your old self and you put on the new. That's what it's like becoming a Christian. Um, I was reading the other day about Andy Ruiz Jr. I don't know whether you've, whether you've come across him. He's a boxer uh, from, from Mexico. Um, I think it was 2019, he turned up for a bout with Anthony Joshua, and he was just completely out of shape. Uh, and um, it was just embarrassing. He lost by a country mile. And, and he said, in his own words, he spent too long at parties. That was his, um, was his explanation. Unsurprisingly, he lost woefully. And, and then he came back two years later, 2021, and this time he won. Uh, but he trained, he was in shape, uh, and, and he was just a completely different guy. And people asked him what had changed, and he said this. He said, right now, I'm motivated. I killed the old Andy, and I'm reborn with the new Andy. That was his explanation. I killed the old Andy, and I'm reborn with the new Andy. It's a bit like what happens when we become a Christian. When we, when we came to Jesus, it changed who we were. You know, the, the tenses are, are important here. It's, this is something that's happened. Uh, you put off your old self, verse 22, and you put on your new self in verse, in verse 24. The, the old self, the me that wanted the darkness, was, was put to one side, and, and the new self began. I killed the old Jeremy, and I was reborn with the new Jeremy. And, and, and get this, verse 24. Uh, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Is that not an extraordinary thing? This new self is created to be like God. When God made people, right at the start of the Bible, Genesis 1.26 this is what it says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So you see what God's doing? When, when you become a Christian? It, it's not that you're just given a list of things not to do. You know, that we think no swearing, no spitting, no sex. We kind of think that that's what it means to, to be a Christian. Um, now, a Christian is someone who, by a miracle of God, has been restored to what it means to be human. You become a human for the first time, created to be like God. It's, it's dangerously radical. So let me ask you, I hope you don't mind me asking you this, um, can you identify in your mind the old you and the new you? Um, let me be clear, it's not that you, um, that you get up every morning, this, this isn't what it's saying, you don't get up every morning and take off your old self and put on the new. This is something that's happened to you in the past, the time that you became a Christian, whether you know when that happened or, or not. I am now the real me, the true Jeremy, as I was made to be, and I am different from the way that I was, praise God. And all the time that I'm telling myself, well, all the time that there are these sort of tapes in my head that are saying that I am that... I'm that dissatisfied, angry, rubbish person who lets people down the whole time. You know, maybe I keep on repeating things that I was told in my childhood. Some, some people 
Some of us were told very negative things in our childhood, and we keep on, when we're under stress, we keep on going back to that. You know, um, maybe someone said to you, she'll always let you down, that one. Or you'll never get the truth out of him. Uh, and and we, you know, we, re we replay those tapes in our heads. Um, people used to say to me when I was growing up, you'll never take anything seriously in your life. You'll never take anything seriously. And, and you can start believing that. If we keep going back to that, that, that is denying the change that has happened in you. The old is gone, the new has come. The true me rejoices now in what God wants. That's who I am. And, and, and as we live that out, that will unite God's people and it'll enable us to show the world what God has begun in us. Amazing thing. Which brings us to the sort of third layer, the third step of, of this part of the Bible. Because as we turn away from what we were and as we remember who we are, so we start being what we've become. Let, let me just say that again. It's, it's, it, it's good to get that in our heads. We turn away from what we were and we remember who we are, so we start being what we've become. Yeah? Because there's always this danger. When we, when we get to verse 25, there's this danger that we, we reach that verse and, and we think, here we go. I knew this would be coming back to the do's and don'ts of being a Christian. More sort of 1950s morality. And, and, and the danger is we, we cut chapters 4 to 6 loose from chapters 1 to 3. But you remember the butterfly squish diagram? You know what? One is just it's, it's the reflection of the other. What we do is the reflection of who we are, what God has done. You know, the two perfectly match. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's living out the new person that I've been made into. And so there'll be sort of outfits that are fitting for that. You know, somewhere in her wardrobe, um, Dawn still has a nurse's uniform. So um, she trains as a nurse. She qualified at Bart's Hospital as a nurse. And um, occasionally, not so much nowadays, but occasionally she uh, would go and do a shift um, on the ward. And she put on that uniform to go and do the shift because that's who she is. She's a nurse. Now, if our daughter Amy put on that nurse's uniform... It wouldn't make her a nurse. Um, that's not her training. Nor would it look right if, if Dawn wore a nurse's uniform to the office where she's working, uh, where everyone else is wearing a suit. Uh, if she walked into Schroeder's in a, in a nurse's dress with one of those upside-down watches and holding a thermometer, that would just look weird. And, and, and so Paul says, you know, this is who you are. So sort of dress in the, in, in the behaviors that, that will fit, that'll just be right. It doesn't, it doesn't make you a Christian, but if you are a Christian, then you'll want to wear these different outfits. Um, five outfits that it's appropriate for a Christian to wear. And they fit because they unite God's people, you see, and that cuts in line with God's big plan. So, so briefly, verse 25, here's an outfit that goes with the new self. 
You see in verse 25, um, not falsehood, but speaking truthfully. Um, why? Well, because um, chapter 2, you're members of one body now. That's who you are. And falsehood is going to divide that body uh, in all kinds of ways. But just for instance, when, when someone comes to church and asks how we are, and we all say, great, thanks. No, no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, then they're going to think, wow, I must be the only person here who's struggling. And that's going to divide the body, you see, because they're going to feel like they don't belong. Um, and the church becomes a less honest place. I mean, we don't have to go into, into exceptional detail about every area of our lives, but maybe an honest answer might be something like, um, yeah, I'm run down. Stress holes are through the roof. Um, uh, could you pray for me a bit later on? I'd really appreciate that. I mean, honest thing, so it's going to build the body. Uh, well, the next outfit in, in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why, Paul? Why do you say that? Well, because it would give the devil a foothold. And um, chapter 1, it, we've been told we're included in Christ. We don't want to let the devil in. Um, it's... It's not always wrong to be angry. Jesus was angry. But Paul says, be very, very careful. Be very, very careful when you're angry because it could just tip over into sin very easily. So sort it out quickly. Don't go to bed fuming and writing imaginary emails to people. Um, that's not who you are now, you know. Um, third outfit in verse 28 you see that um, just over the page no more stealing why but because God has been incredibly generous to us he's lavished on us his riches in chapter one um, and and so we'll want to have something that we can be generous with ourselves that we can share with other people um, that's that's something generally that goes on behind the scenes here at Trinity people who have a bit more Sharing with those who, who haven't, uh, whether that's possessions, expertise, groceries, a bed for the night. You probably don't know anything about that, which is a good thing. But it goes on from time to time here at Trinity. It's a sign of health, isn't it? Because it's going to build that unity in the local church. And that's what God wants us to be showing. A fourth outfit in verse 29. No unwholesome talk. Why? Because it, it's not going to build, build people into this house. Um, it's, not, it's not going to unite people. You remember in, in chapter 2, um, God is building us together into a house, a temple in which God lives by his Spirit. So don't grieve the Spirit in verse 30. Before you speak, ask, is this going to pull us together as a church? Is that, what, is that the effect that it's going to have? If not, maybe bite your tongue. Or a final outfit in verse 31. No bitterness. Why? Because, because bitterness generally comes from unforgiveness. If they're saying that we, we don't find ourselves able to forgive and it, and, and it goes on and on and on, then that makes us into bitter people. Um, and, and God, chapter 1, God, God has given us the forgiveness of sins in accordance with with the riches of his grace. Um, so, so forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let go of it. Just let it go. 
I wonder, which of those five outfits have you not tried on for a while? Um, what, what will happen is something that happens so rarely when you rediscover old clothes, in my experience, which is you'll find that they fit perfectly. That's an unusual thing with old clothes. Um, but these, these are good clothes. You'll look good in them because you're a dearly loved child. You see that in chapter 5, verse 1? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. You are a dearly loved child of God. And Jesus showed us that, chapter 5, verse 2, when he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're a dearly loved child of his. So I know it's easy to be cynical. I feel that in myself. You know, I've been around London long enough to sort of pick up the vibe. It's easy to be cynical, but can you actually imagine a world where people look after each other? Where enemies, ancient enemies, become friends? Where different people are joined by, by what unites them, not, not by what sets them apart? Where everyone is valued and has a part to play? Good. So let's live it. Let's remember who we are and show the world what God is doing. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray that we would rediscover the people that you made us to be, those new people that you've uh, created us to be, people who are no longer full of bitterness or rage or anger, people who are full of kindness and compassion, who forgive each other, people who remember that they're dearly loved children and so long to live a life of love just as Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Please, Father, can we live out that community life before a watching world? And we ask in your name. Amen.